everyone. After a little bit of a hiatus, we're back. My name is Mike Dice. I'm Elias. Another edition of the Extra Rounds podcast. Uh, this week we have quite the uh, all-star lineup for our, our comeback episode in October. It was a weird month in MMA in September, even though there was UFC 215. It was kind of um, quiet, all things considered. I think it was um, mostly quiet because we weren't on. If we had been on, it just would have been a riot fest. It would have been the talk right. of the sporting world. Well, after summer and the whole Mayweather-McGregor thing, you know, it was probably busy. It's just not what we were used to being bludgeoned with yeah. over the summer. But um, coming back, we have three guests today. We have Paul Felder, uh, who's going to call in in about eight minutes. Um, we have Colby Covington, who's going to call in in about 20 minutes after the hour. And then at about 45 minutes past the hour, we're going to have Jimmy Rivera. Um, uh, call in so um, it's it's an exciting lineup thank you uh, you know first and foremost UFC 216 is this weekend mm. um, so let's kind of get a little bit of talk about that Paul Felder's working the Fox broadcast so he's going to break down that with us and kind of talk about what he's doing with Fox um, but it, it's an interesting card uh, two title fights because of the incident at 215 with Demetrius Johnson we have Tony Ferguson fighting Kevin Lee for the interim lightweight t- or interim lightweight title in the main event and then Demetrius Johnson fighting um, Ray Borg for the flyweight title and the record uh, for title defenses yeah. in the co-main so first of all what's your thought on this well you know everybody seems to always judge cards based on how stacked they are and whatnot where do you see this one on that scale oh it's a great card there's great fights on it there's important fights on it um, you know the whole interim tag on lightweight for any number of reasons probably similar to many of the fans out there that that's that's annoying right uh, but Ferguson versus Lee is a great fight Oh, that's phenomenal. Uh, Demetrius Johnson exercising in his gym would be worth uh, watching as far as I'm concerned. He's, 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 uh, he's just an amazing fighter. He's fighting a really tough, dangerous, pretty big uh, challenger, and there's history on the line, like you said. So I think it's great. I mean, I think those two fights alone make it worthwhile, uh, and I think the undercard is, is, is just fine as well. So, yeah, I, I like it. Which one are you more looking forward to? I think there was a lot of discussion about which title fight should be yeah. the main event. And I think a lot of people felt the interim lightweight title got the nod because it's going to be more exciting. Mm. Do you see one as more exciting than the other? Uh, there's no way of knowing. I'm assuming it got the nod as punishment to Demetrius Johnson for being vocal uh, to the UFC and critical of them um, on all sorts of issues. Um, you know, It wasn't very long ago that Dana White, allegedly, uh, according to Johnson, was, was threatening to get rid of the entire division just because uh, Demetrius wouldn't fight, you know, an unranked uh, non-flyweight um, on short notice. So yeah, I'm assuming it's actually just to to, to punish Demetrius Johnson. I, there's no way of there's way no way of knowing. I think either fight could be exciting. Demetrius Johnson has a really amazing uh, finishing rate, pretty much as good as it gets as far as champions go. He's he's really up there, and he's always moving every fight. He's able to do everything at any given moment, so that's always exciting. I think Tony Ferguson uh, and, and Kevin Lee should be a lot of fun. I, I, I'm assuming Kevin Lee is going to try to get this to the ground. I don't think it'll be easy for him, but yeah, you never know. You never know which one will be more titillating. I think they're both very interesting fights. I think if I had to guess, I'm guessing Kevin Lee and Tony Ferguson might be a little bit more evenly matched, but who knows, even there. Yeah, the, uh, the thing about Demetrius Johnson and Ray Borg is neither one of them are big trash talkers. I always think Demetrius Johnson, as far as when he, when he speaks, he's very um, intelligent, first of all, but he's always very um, straightforward and and logical. You know what I mean? He doesn't talk in a lot of extremes or 
um, the trash talk. You know, if you ask him a question, he asks, he typically answers it pretty reasonably. Um, he, he doesn't give the sound bites. Maybe it's the veteran savvy uh, of him or whatnot. But, you know, Lee coming off of everything that happened at the press conference uh, right before USC 211 and Kiesa and the post fight interview with Ferguson, there just seems to kind of be this hype, hype uh, surrounding that fight. And, uh, you know, Lee's kind of just kind of come out of nowhere to become this star. Um, yeah, he get, he makes it easy to quote him, right? I think the, Demetrius Johnson, obviously, like, you know, we were, we were chatting off air about this. Talking to anyone, talking to most people, fight week uh, is not going to be, unless they're a huge trash talker like Kevin Lee, it's not going to generate, you know, big, big headline-worthy, buzz-worthy quotes. Uh, Demetrius Johnson gives some really interesting, thoughtful answers, I'd say, outside of fight week. When, you, when, when he's talking about, like, his, his interests outside of the fight, when he's talking about um, family life, martial arts, when he, and he gives some really quotable quotes uh, when, uh, and he's done so a lot in the last year when he's been critical of the UFC, how much reporters beat reporters want to quote that back and actually then dig in and, and, and examine those issues that that's, that's more on them. So he's very quotable, but that usually in terms of talking trash about his opponents, which is like the easy thing for, for us to, to pick on. And yeah, I mean, shoot, I know we were chatting about this. Like it, I, I know you do too, even though we've done it here, kind of feel bad talking to someone week of a fight when they're cutting weight. It's tough. It's sometimes it's tough to get really like, you know, glimmering gold out of them. And I know, I know it, it from everything I've been hearing from folks, it's, it's been kind of difficult to get amazing, like catchy one line zingers from him this week. But there's two types of things. Like when you do these interviews, you want like the headline quote, like mm-hmm. flow combat had a good one from Michael Bisping and his interview with Damon Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, about Freddie Roach, like that, you know, like you can craft a headlight. The other, there's like a story to be told and it kind of ends up. The, the thing is like that doesn't always get the attention. Those things don't yeah. get the attention they don't deserve because the headline doesn't grab you. Mm. It's just kind of, I guess, the way culture is in terms of everything. We want everything so quick and um, digestible in, in pieces. Yeah, that's certainly one of the things. I mean, that, that sometimes can happen. I think media can have a big role in, 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 in crafting that. I remember this is not, I mean, this isn't a sound you know, self-aggrandizing. I don't mean it to be. It is, I guess. But I remember one of one of the one of some of the biggest ple- uh, pleasant surprises I've had is how well, like, some long-form stuff that I've done, uh, you know, has performed just traffic-wise. You know, to say nothing of, am I happy with it? Is it good or whatever? I remember Luke Rockhold. We put out this like when I was at Fox Sports. We put out this like six thousand word thing on Luke Rockhold um, that had that had nothing like even newsworthy or buzzy or catchy. And um, it was week it came out the week of the fight. The day it came out, it was the it was before UFC 199. It was the the most well uh, trafficked English language UFC related piece of content out there, and you know uh, ranked by Google the, the entire day. So I think there's a you know there's there's an, there's many great things out there. Things like you know whole sites and verticals dedicated to stuff like that. So I think I think it takes you know uh, media members willing. And able to tell that story, you know, and you always are. For example, you always you do a great job with news and editing, but you always you'll spend time. You'll go to camps, you know. You'll spend time in fight weeks with people. I, I think it takes I think it takes people. Uh, I think I think it takes good storytellers. Um, for sure, people want a quick, digestible stuff, but that's mostly what they're being given too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, but the thing about like uh, you mentioned going to camps and whatnot, I think that kind of gives a good um, understanding and context for when you're going to. I know I got to spend a little bit of time with Paul Felder when he fought Edson Barboza in Chicago. 
Um, and it's given me a little bit of an insight, especially to uh, what he's about to do mm. with Fox. Um, so that's that's uh, exciting to to look forward to. Yeah, it's uh, kind of cool. Just even off air, you were telling me some stuff about uh, about Paul Felder that I didn't know about at all. I mean, maybe it's been written about, but uh, other than you, but I know the fact that you've spent time with him brings that to bear. That's the thing. There's like so you know we get so focused on the sport and what's going on that we forget that like like us. Uh, the fighters have just so much more to them than just yeah. um, particular being, you know, being fighters and competing in the cage. But I believe we have Paul Felder on the line. Paul, are you there? Yes, sir. Hey, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to talk to us during a, a, a busy week for you. No problem. So we know that you're doing the Fox broadcast. This is kind of a gig that you've been uh, campaigning for, that you've wanted. I, I know personally I was telling um, my co-host, Elias, that uh, when I met you in Chicago ahead of your Edson Barboza fight, you were telling me kind of about your theater background. How has that kind of prepared you for this Fox uh, debut? Well, you know, I've just always been comfortable doing things on the fly and kind of being in the moment and, and uh, you know, working with scripts and, and hitting marks and doing, you know, hitting cameras and all that kind of stuff that's in studio is stuff I've worked with before. I've been in front of cameras. I've been in studios. Um, and, you know, and I know how to, I know how to speak without, you know, I, I know how to speak to people and for an audience as opposed to just kind of having a mumbling conversation with somebody or, you know, I know that I know how to talk about topics and things like that. I mean, going to school for theater, you know, you do two, three hour productions in front of an audience live. You got to roll with that thing as it's going, man. You can't stop and be like, Oh, wait a minute. I messed up. You learn to kind of roll with the punches, so to speak. No pun intended with the crossover <laughs> fighting there. Have you kind of uh, dedicated some energy to trying to figure out like what kind of analyst you're going to be or what, what kind of um, unique angle or style you're going to bring or is it just kind of feeling out the moment? Just, yeah, definitely just going going with the moment and, and kind of having fun with it, you know, and, and just being me. Um, fights excite me. I get very excited when I watch fights at home when I'm by myself. I flip out. I love it. And I, I kind of feel like that kind of carries over into my, my color work when I did the color commentary. I can't help it. You know, when something crazy happens in a fight, it's actually even hard for me to I have to really stop myself from cursing and kind of losing it because I, I love this sport. I loved it before I even was doing it. You know, I've, I've uh, been a martial artist my whole life. It's something I get very into. So uh, I'm just trying to bring that to the table, bring my, my excitement for the guys in there and my respect as a, as a fellow athlete with them and um yeah i feel like i've got a sense of humor and i know how to joke as well too you know what i mean i, I can be a goofball so uh yeah it's fun like i hope to work with guys like you know cormier who's a nut and uh you know it's fun working with Cruz, who's kind of got that dry you know you don't know if he's messing with you or making fun of you kind of sense of humor with things so it's fun to, to just play around and, and learn from everybody too new this I feel like the Fox role, at least for fighters, is kind of like a coveted gig. How hard was it for you to kind of crack the door and get this shot? Well, I uh, you know I just randomly got the audition for the Contender Series thing. That went well. I had fun with that. I loved everybody in the production with that. It was just a really good starting point for me. And then from there, obviously, I got the small four-fight deal with the, the uh, Pittsburgh fights. And that night... Um, I had got a uh, an email when I got back to my hotel room saying that, you know, 
desk offer. You know, here's here's the deal. Do you want it? And so, I mean, obviously, it didn't take long for me to get that offer. That was that night, the Pittsburgh fight night. Paul, this is uh, Elias here. Thanks again for, for being on. As over the years, as as a fighter, when you watch fights, you watch fights be called. You talked about some of the folks you're, you're interested in working with, uh, without naming names, obviously. On, on on the other side, what are some of the things that have bothered you most um, in terms of the way fights have been called over time? Uh, in any way, whether it's maybe lack of knowledge of the sport, whether it's you know maybe not having empathy for fighters or anything else. What, what are some of the things you think you, you're going you're gonna to try to bring to bear that you feel have been missing? Well, one of the things I think that the UFC is doing, and I like it in the direction that they're going, is they're getting more fighters involved. And fighters who are still active, fighters who are retired. And every other sports organization that we follow uh, in the U.S., particularly baseball, basketball, football, that's what happens. These guys that know the sport best, the ins and outs at happen to be well-spoken and can do the job. You know, not everybody can do this because not everybody is comfortable doing it. But if you can find the athletes that are comfortable and want to do it, they're going to give you the best point of view that can possibly, you know, get brought to you as an audience because we have been in that octagon. We've been elbowed. We've been submitted. We've been punched and we've been kicked in the liver. We know exactly how everything feels. And, you know, as long as you can be intelligent and kind of, analyze things on top of that, you're the best guy for the job. And it seems to be that's where they're going with it more. Not that anybody in the past hasn't been great. It's just, I think, having some regular people and talented broadcast people or, you know, actors and stuff doing it as well is great. But you got to mix in the talent and the, and the people from the actual organization. Just like football, NFL, they retire, they're on the desk, they're all sitting around, they're all talking about the game. They're all talking about you know, which teams are this, and they argue because they're from, you know, the Cowboys talking to the Broncos guys, talking to the Eagles guy, and now we kind of have that kind of going on a little bit now, where we got me, you got Formia, you got Cruz, you know, and then we got Anik and Rogan and, and people squeezed in there, and that makes for a good conversation. Now let's get your thoughts on UFC 216 and kind of get a preview of this analysis you're going to bring to this uh, event. Uh, which fight or fighter on this card are you looking forward to the most? Well, obviously, it goes without saying that as a lightweight, I'm very intrigued by the, the main event with Tony Ferguson and Kevin Lee because that's my division. That's going to be the new champ when Goose potentially going to face Conor McGregor. But aside from that, there, there's a few other lightweight matchups uh, as well on the card. So, I mean, obviously, Benil Daryush and Evan Dunham, um, uh, that's a great matchup. And, you know, you've got Will Brooks and, and Lance. Um, uh, Landon and, uh, and Bobby Green. So, out of them, though, I would say that the Benil fight is probably one of the ones I'll really be um, eyeing up just because I feel like that's very much in the realm of where I'm at as a fighter. I think on some things I'm ranked 20, some things I'm ranked 20, whatever, and they're, you know, just in the top 15. So, it's something I'm aspiring to get to very soon. So, I'll be watching that one very closely. And, you know, Demetrius Johnson is on the precipice of setting a UFC, you know, a UFC record if he can be, uh, beat Ray Borg. Uh, I feel like a lot of people aren't giving Ray Borg much of a chance. What's your take on it? What can he do to win this fight? Man, I think he's really just got to bite down on that damn mouth card and go and get into a fight as hard as he can and go for broke because 
the worst thing you can do with a guy like Demetrius Johnson is be worried about him. He's going to bring it to you, and he's going to be good. You know that. You know that you're not getting a chance. You know nobody's giving you a shot. So what do you have to lose? I think when you have a fight like that, that's what makes you dangerous if you approach it with the right uh, mental you know, fortitude and go in there and say, I'm going out of my shield. It's what people expect. Well, I'm taking him out as hard as I can. And I think Ford, you know, he's young, he's hungry. If he comes with that mind, mindset, he could be a dangerous guy in that octagon that night. Do you see him as the guy who could stop the streak? I mean, I, I personally, if I had to, you know, do my analyst work and take my pick, I'm obviously leaning towards, you know, Demetrius Johnson to break the record. And he's going to go on to be one of the greatest of all time. And if he starts switching divisions, maybe he even goes up a weight class, I think he's probably going to go down, especially statistically, as the greatest UFC champion until somebody can ever catch up to him. And in the main event, Ferguson Lee, I think a lot of people see Ferguson as well-rounded. They both obviously have this rec, uh, wrestling background. Wh- who's kind of the favorite in your mind in this in this fight? Yeah, man, I do think it's really close. I think they're both very talented in the same areas with the wrestling. They're very good submission guys. I've been giving when I heard about the matchup at first. I thought it was a little lopsided for Ferguson, and as the fight. I, I, you know, I, I think about it, I watch their fights, I, I hear their interviews, and you start thinking more and more about it. I think it's way closer than I originally thought now. Uh, I'm giving me way, way, way more credit now. Um, I do think he's super talented, but I think the edge for me is Ferguson. I just think there's something about him, though. He, he gets it done, and he's tough, and he's funky and weird in all the right ways to be a really good fighter. You know what I mean? He is not afraid to get in there and get hit. He's really talented on the ground. He's almost impossible to hold down for too long without him throwing a submission on you. When you look back at like the Castillo fight, he thought he won because he had him down on the ground. But Ferguson was throwing up submissions left and right. And uh, if he does that with Lee, even if he's on his back, he could be winning the fight. And um, I think his striking is so damn unorthodox and effective that he could give uh, uh, a guy like Kevin Lee a little bit of trouble. A lot of people, uh, you know, see Ferguson, and he's been in the UFC longer. He's fought bigger names, former lightweight champion Rafael Dos Anjos. Uh, Kevin Lee doesn't have necessarily a sterling of a uh, resume when it comes to that in that regard. Is that something that's kind of overplayed by fans, or do you think that's a real uh, factor in this fight? Well, we'll find out, right? But hmm. I do think that it's a factor. I think maybe it's being looked at by some people too much, and by some of them that are, you know, totally thinking that he might mop the map with Ferguson. I think they're not giving enough credit. I mean, Matt Ferguson's been in there with Javier Dos Anjos for five rounds at altitude in Mexico City. That's, that takes guts, that takes heart, and that takes, you know, mad, mad work ethic throughout camp to be able to go 25 minutes the way that he did and make the former champ kind of look like he wasn't in his league for a while there. <clears throat> That's not easy to do, man. Every time Ferguson can count it out, he comes in and he's dominant. Um, he's been one of those guys that I think everybody's like, oh, well, he got through that one, but wait till he fights this guy. And he's just kind of climbed up slowly, getting these nine-fight win streak, and now he's fighting to the belt. And um, to the truth, that's probably could be, and, and the guy just can't stay healthy, and it's a shame, you know, that we never really could see how that would have worked out. But I think... Uh, yeah, I think that when you go those wars like that with, with 
Biden's counting the caliber that every single follow. He gives you that edge. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out to talk to us. Best of luck to you on the uh, broadcast. Can't wait to watch. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, you know, I appreciate the time. And, um, yeah, I'm, I, I can't wait to get there tomorrow and, and uh, try out the desk and, and have some fun. Have a great show. Thanks, buddy. Fascinating stuff there with uh, Paul Felder um, talking uh, about the uh, the fights and his broadcast, the theater experience is going to be real interesting. It really gives him a heads up on a lot of other, um, yeah. a, a lot of other fighters who are uh, trying to get that, um, that Fox broadcasting gig. You know, he's kind of got that theater experience. He's accustomed to it right now. Uh, but now oh. we're welcoming Colby Covington to the show. Colby, how are you? Hey, what's going on guys? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. How's everything in uh, South Florida? Uh, it's going good, man. It's getting back to normal weather after this hurricane, so I can't complain. I'm not I'm not running around crazy, you know, worried about a hurricane anymore. Now I can get back to training. What did you um what did you do when the hurricane was coming? Did you stay? Did you leave? I ended up evacuating. Uh, I went up to uh, a military base up in Virginia. I'd already kind of had it scheduled, so I actually got lucky, you know, that I was able to go see the the, the Army and the Air Force base up at uh, Joint Base Langley Eustis in uh, Virginia. So, you know, I got pretty lucky to get out of the get out of the state because you know a lot of flights got canceled and uh, people were running around with their heads chopped off. Did, were you able to keep training or did you just kind of have like a weird couple days where you weren't doing much of anything except for like cardio and what you could do? Yeah, man, it, it was unfortunate. I kind of lost a week of training because I was actually supposed to come home Sunday from the trip, but, uh, cause I left Wednesday, but I wasn't able to come home till Wednesday. So I lost a week of training. I was just running up there and stuff. So it was unfortunate, but you know, it was good too. Cause I got a lot of motivation that I, that I drew from the troops and you know, they gave me a lot of motivation going forward. And everything with your home and uh, the ATT facilities, everything was fine? Yeah, everything was good. Luckily, um, you know, actually my car got kind of lucky because uh, there was a tree that fell on a car like pretty close to my car. So I got pretty lucky that no trees fell on my car. But, uh, you know, the American top team, you know, the guy that owns it, Dan Lambert, he's a smart dude. So when he built it, he knew to put up, you know, hurricane proof mm. windows and, and make a hurricane proof facility. Yeah, I imagine uh, trying to board up a bunch of windows at a gym would be a hard task with uh, how big these facilities can be. <laughs> that one's gigantic. I haven't been there yet. Was it 40,000 40, square feet or something like that, Colby? Yeah, it's it's ginormous, man. We got like 20 dorms upstairs. You know, there's a, there's a juice bar. There's a, there's, a, there's a cycling studio, you know. It's, I mean, a full, a full weight system, a couple octagons. It's ginormous. Now, have you traveled and kind of seen the setup at a uh, other a lot of other gyms that uh, have you know professional ufc mma fighters uh, training at and if so how much uh, do you feel that that facility at american top team gives those athletes an advantage over their opponents uh yeah i've been to a couple facilities you know i went to alpha male and trained a little bit and i i was training up in quest a while ago when when they had their team going in portland oregon but uh you know it's a huge advantage you know just having the 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 resources that we do at american top team you know that type of gym you know it's you know you always want to be careful when you're training for big fights you know because there's always someone spying trying to videotape or trying to get looks at what how you're preparing for your for your style that you're going to fight 
and your game plan. So, you know, it take, it's a huge advantage because there's private rooms in American Top Team that you can go into and, and literally no one can see what you're doing because, you know, it's a completely closed off room from the gym. So, you know, it's it's nice. You know, you got a full full octagon in there so you can get the, the feel of what it's going to be like on fight night, you know, the spacing of the cage and whatnot. And, and you know, it's just, you know, it's it's world-class facility. But, you know, you know, on the same end of the spectrum you know there's nothing like training in a rocky style gym where you're just in a garage and you're just pushing hard you know you can't you can't take that for granted either the american top team is definitely a little bit more rocky three than rocky one <laughs> yeah for sure <laughs> hey colby elias here i uh it's my first chance getting to chat with you i've, I've spent a, a lot of time and we've also had him on the show with with mike brown and over you know for the last for the last bit now he's always been super super uh high on you and, and really trying to get word out on you uh, even before uh maybe the larger words world started paying attention <laughs> so i've always heard nothing but great things about you and, and obviously mike's never like bad mouthed anyone so i'm always i've always been curious from afar when when i see like even recently like interviews from you and you're and you're coming out and and you're you're, you're throwing fire at, at tyron woodley and, and what's the what's the origin of this of this tension between you and he. I mean, obviously you're both high-ranking welterweights and he's a champ, but, I mean, it seems like there's got to be something more to it than that. Man, I, did, I honestly, I, I, I hated his personality the second I met him. You know, I just, I knew he was a fake person the second I met him. You know, he, you know, the, fir the first time I saw an American top team, he kind of knew who I was through the wrestling world, you know, and, um, you know, he kind of gave me the cold shoulder, acted like he was too good. But then when he needed me to help him out for a training camp to get ready, you know, then he, oh, he's my best friend. Oh, Colby, hey, I'll do this for you. I can do this. Like, oh, man, I'll help you out with your career. I'll, I'll, I'll give you PR. I'll do this and that. You know, I'll, I'll show you the ins and outs that can help market you and get your name out there and big. But then, like, as soon as I get to the UFC, then then it's just back to the cold shoulder. He doesn't he acts like he doesn't know who I am. And. You know, he's just, he's a fake person, man. If you met the guy, he's just, he's honestly fake. He's the fakest person I've ever met. Like, he says all this stuff in the media, you know, and it's just, it's all lies. And I'm just sick of him playing the victim role, you know. That's his, he loves to play the victim. Oh, I'm the victim. Oh, everybody's racist because they don't want to see me fight. Oh, everybody's, it wants to be racist because they don't like how I fight, you know. It's just, you know, he's just, he's pathetic, you know. I just, I hate hearing the guy talk and. And honestly, it's just, it's an easy matchup. You know, he knows what comes with me as an opponent and what happened when we used to train in the gym and it's not pretty for him. So obviously he's not going to give me a platform. He's going to try to not put my name out of his mouth as much as he can, because he knows there's not a tougher matchup in the world than me. And he knows what I'll do to him. What's, what's the atmosphere like? I mean, when, when you've got you as a top contender rising up and, and, and being vocal and being super critical professionally, personally about, about Woodley. I mean, what is, I mean, do people tell you, Hey Colby, you know, don't, don't talk about Tyron that much. Do people agree with you? Is it not really a, a thing you hear about? I mean, that's just, that's a peculiar thing. I remember when, when he and Robbie Lawler, when, when Robbie was on the team, you're ready to fight. When I would talk to people off the record, um, you know, it, it, there was there was interesting things being said. Like, what's what's the what's the situation there? Do you guys not consider him really a part of? I'll, I'll let you speak for yourself. Do you not really consider him a part of uh, of the team? Do you not even really consider him a teammate, or is it kind of awkward? No, he, I don't consider him in any shape or form a teammate. 
he uh, he trains in St. Louis, man. He doesn't come to American Top Team down in Coconut Creek, the main academy. He's been down to the main academy once in the last two years. He he spends most of his times in Milwaukee at Duke Rufus, so and training with those guys. So I I can't consider a guy like that my teammate. He's not in the gym day in and day out in Coconut Creek, Florida, American Top Team headquarters, training with us. So you know I don't consider that a guy mm. the guy. A training partner anymore yeah we used to train together you know four years ago three years ago but but th that's a that's a thing of the past you know we're talking about the president if we're talking about the president president the guy's in st louis he's in duke rufus so you know I, I don't hear anything from anybody i think a lot of the people are happy what i'm saying about him because i'm saying facts and i'm saying truth i'm not this ain't these aren't things i'm just making up a lot of things i'm saying this is truth and and a lot of people agree with me and and a lot of people want to see me fight him to shut his mouth so you know, uh, you know, I, I'm not hearing anything from anybody. I think everybody's agreeing with me. You got so we're talking about uh, Tyron Woodley with Colby Covington. You've got uh, the last man to to fight him up next for yourself and Damian Maya. You know, leaving leaving, I guess you know, uh, personal opinions aside. When you look, when you watch that fight, Colby, were were you impressed by by either Maya or Woodley and, and when they fought one another in, in any way? No, I wasn't impressed with with any of them. I think they're both aging fighters. I think they're both on their way out. They, they got their last couple fights that are left in the gas tank. And I feel like I'm the guy to expose those guys and, and, and put them out to retirement. So, you know, Tyrone Woodley doing what I, what I know he's always going to do, throw only a couple punches in a fight and hope for a miracle haymaker shot to knock someone out. But if he doesn't get it, he's mentally weak. You know, he fights safe. He plays the safe game. He's going to back up, back up and try and throw one punch and, and make guys, you know, get in their head that he's a physical specimen, but he can't do that against me. I'm, I'm going to put him in a tough fight. I'm going to put him up against the cage. I'm going to make him work. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break his mentally will. You know, he, he can't hang in the octagon with me for five rounds. I promise you that. He won't make it to five rounds. He'll quit. And that's what he did in the gym, and that's what he'll do in the octagon. And Damian Maia, the same thing is going to go for him. He's not going to be able to last with me. He's going to shoot those takedowns, and he's going to get tired, but – you know, I'm not going to be backing up, you know, playing it safe like Tyrone Woodley because I got gas in the tank still. He's going to shoot those takedowns and he's going to get tired and then I'm going to pick him apart. I'm going to finish him. I'm going to lay him to rest in his home country. I'm going to do all his fans, all his family, all his friends of Sao Paulo, Brazil. I'm going to do them a favor. I'm going to put him to rest in his home country so they can all thank me later. You uh, you mentioned fighting in his home country. You're, you're on this 4-0 uh, fight streak. You fought... Um, in Canada, you fought in Asia. You know, are you starting to relish this kind of going into enemy territory and fighting their guy? I love it, man. It's it's it, you know, it's a dream come true. What's better than than playing the villain role, going and playing the home spoiler? You know, I I don't like cheers. I like the booze, man. That's what gets me motivated. I'm, you know, the cheers is cool. Yeah, you know, if you respect me and support me, that's awesome. But the booze, man, that's something that digs deep inside my soul, deep inside. My 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 energy that just gives me an overwhelming sense of just ah oh, just makes me want to go out there and, and shut everybody up, prove everybody wrong, and put on a performance, you know, to hear even more booze. So, you know, I, I relish the fact, man. I love it, man. I am the super villain now. You know, I'm the most hated man in the UFC, and, and I'm comfortable playing that role. I got no problems. I didn't come here to make friends. I'm here to be the best fighter in the world, and that's what I am right now. So, you guys better make sure you get your bets in quick because by fight time, I'm probably going to be a three to one favorite. It's a 
maybe a good nickname change. Colby the supervillain. Hell uh, yeah. Covington instead of chaos. That's amazing. We got to go with that, Colby the supervillain. We got we to get that to catch on, man. We got to hashtag that. Now, it, it, like we said uh, just a moment ago, it's it's your ninth fight in the UFC. You've only lost one of those fights. Um, do you, when they finally gave you this Damian Maya fight, were you kind of relieved that, like, finally I've got this big name opponent? Like, they're recognizing where I stand in the division? Uh, you know, I, you know, I had that last fight, Dong Hum Kim. He was a big name. You know, he only lost to three guys, the champion Tyrone Woodley, a former champion Carlos Condit, and the guy I'm fighting right now, Damian Maya. So this is just another fight like Damian Maya, you know, Dong Hum Kim. And you saw what I did to Dong Hum Kim. That was 30-25. So you don't see that very often in the UFC. So, you know, this is my coming out party with Damian Maya. I can promise you that, you know, Damian Maya is only a stepping stone to what I'm going to do to Tyrone Woodley next. So, you know, Damian Maya is just another man in my in my way. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to retire him and, and put him to rest in his home country. I love I love the energy. Um, you know, this would be your fifth win in a row. Like we said, you would have only had one loss in the UFC point. Do you, do you feel like with the way that the division's kind of cleared out that that makes you the unquestioned next contender for Tyrone Woodley? Yes, I do feel like I'm the next contender. I mean, they're trying to say that RDA is next. Come on, man. Who's he beat at welterweight? He beat a guy on a three-fight losing streak in Tarek Safany and the guy, and then he beat uh, a guy in Neil Magny who's on another losing streak. He just got knocked out viciously by a Bellator fighter. So, you know, I, I can't consider RDA's resume any stronger than mine. Mine's a lot stronger. I'm a lot more dominant. I've been winning this weight class. And not only that, the UFC knows who's been ducking who. RDA ducked me. We were supposed to fight three different times in Singapore, and he didn't want to fight. So, you know, that's why they put me ahead of him on the card, on the main card against Sung Hum Kim, and they put him behind me on the card. So, you know, without question goes to say that I should be next for the welterweight title shot. You know, Robbie Lawler, he got knocked out viciously. They can't redo that fight. Plus, he's old anyways. The guy needs to hang it up because, you know, he's got a lot of head trauma. So, you know, I feel bad for the guy. He needs to hang it up now. And Stephen Thompson, he already tried two times, and those are the two most boring welterweight fights in the history of the UFC. So he's not going to be next. So, you know, I'm next in line. And, and what I do to Damian Maia, they'll have no question that I will be next in line. I'm going to retire Damian Maia, and it's going to be a lot more dominant than Tyron Woodley did. Now, I know Woodley's coming off of a, a, an injury or a surgery. I don't know if he's going to be back. Do you think that's, this happens before the end of the year, or do you think it happens in the early next year? <laughs> Is he coming off surgery, though? You know, he he, he, uh, he made up a lot of – Tyron Woodley likes to make up a lot of stories to the media. Oh, this, that. You know, yeah, he said his shoulder was hurt. Yeah, he had a he had a bruise on his shoulder or whatnot. But but did he actually get a surgery? Because last, last time I checked, I don't think he ended up getting a surgery. I think he was just trying to make excuses for his pathetic performance against Damian Maia. I don't think he really got a surgery. So, you know, we'll have to check the facts with Tyron Woodley. You don't – Whenever things come out of Tyrone Woodley's mouth, you always have to check the facts because that guy makes up a lot of lies. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to check the fights. I, I don't know if he really was hurt or if he was just trying to get some time to hopefully angle for a bigger money fight. But at the end of the day, the guy's not a money fighter. The, the guy's the most boring welterweight champ in the UFC history and he's the weakest champ in the UFC, to be honest, in my opinion right now. So, you know, I, I don't know if that guy's really injured or if he's just trying to wait out and look for a big fight, but... After I beat Damian Maya, you know, I'm hoping to get him as soon as possible. I'll take him in November. I don't, that's how confident I am with Tyrone Woodley. We can go in November at Madison Square Garden the next weekend for all I care. <laughs> well, Colby, thanks so much for taking the time out to talk to us during your, your uh, fight camp. We really appreciate it. We know how busy you are. Um, we really enjoyed having you talk. 
Uh, we can't wait to have you on the show again okay. in the future after after this big win against Damian Maya, hopefully. Absolutely, Mike. Thanks for having me, guys. Elias, everybody, uh, thanks a lot, man. Much respect and love to you guys. Take care, Colby. Take care, guys. Talk to you soon. Peace. Colby Covington, if you weren't a fan, he probably just made you a fan. <laughs> or or you or you hate him as a supervillain. We just got a text from his coach, Mike Brown, who's saying, yeah, he's good at spitting a hot fire. <laughs> yeah, he's uh... – in, in and out of the ring. But you know, I, I wanted to ask him about um, this kind of him being vocal on social media lately. You know, I'm not necessarily the person who follows it closely, but it seems like it's come out of um, you know nowhere. And I think a lot of times when people when this kind of comes to happen, you see it with um, with like Kevin Lee going into this Ferguson fight that people discredited it as, oh, you're following the Conor McGregor playbook, or you're doing this or that, but as if these fighters shouldn't be outspoken and promote sure. themselves. Um, or if, if he's got the uh, copyright or trademark on <laughs> speaking your mind on uh, whatever platform you're given. But, um, you know, you can see that this this is just natural. Like, this is just Colby being Colby. There's not any, like, premeditation or, like, I need to build my social media following, so I'm going to do this. You know, he's just being himself, and that's ultimately what's caused him to, I, I feel like, catch on with fans, um, you know, in the past year or so. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know well, but it certainly seems to come natural to him, right? Like, if he, if this isn't the way he hypes himself up, if he's, then he's a hell of an actor. He's a better actor than Paul Felder if, he's, if this isn't actually him. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I have little doubt, Mike, that, that he is as hyped up as he sounds. I mean, listen, I don't care where they put you on the card, uh, you know, if it's above Rafael Dos Anjos or what your win streak is. Until you're a UFC champion, even then, sadly, you don't get paid all that much money. This guy is a young, hungry young man. And like, he, he's trying to eat, you know, like Kimbo would say. He's trying to get his bread right now. Uh, and anyone, even if he didn't have something against them personally, anyone who's ahead of him, anyone who stands in his way, he probably has something against them now. You know, he has some animus. So, I mean, I, I have no doubt that he means it. And, uh, you know, he's, he's been backing it up. So far, this is a really, really um, tough fight for him and Damian Maya. If he beats Damian Maya, I agree with him. He should be the next guy to get get the uh, no get doubt. the title shot. I mean, you, you really can't deny him at that point. You can't give it to Dos Anjos over a guy who'd at this point no. be on a five fight win streak in the welterweight division. Yeah, but the I other agree. thing is like the UFC and fans should all be hoping Colby Covington wins. <laughs> Damian Maia is a legend and he's a, an incredibly nice guy and nobody wishes like ill will on no. Damian Maia or anything like that. But, you know, he's already fought Tyron Woodley. You know, you need Covington to win mm -hmm. to provide that next entertaining challenger for Tyron Woodley. What like, an angle Tyron Woodley fighting Colby Covington in a welterweight title fight is super intriguing. It's yeah. the storyline that's out there that everybody – um, should be hoping to see, you know, mm. it's going to be entertaining. And you know what would be really interesting in that buildup is Tyron Woodley, when it comes to the media and talking pre-fight, he's very reserved. Mm. Um, and, and I think he's just kind of cautious because, uh, I, you know, maybe it's just all pro athletes are kind of cautious when they're speaking to the media and that thing because they know how words can be taken out of context and this site aggregates three sites down the line <laughs> and it gets construed and taken out of context. But um, you know, the, the juxtaposition with Colby, who's not that way mm -hmm. would be incredibly fascinating. 
Yeah, and it. I think you were bringing on it in, in Woodley too. Like Woodley let it go when he was talking, you know, rightly so, uh, talking about racism or criticizing Dana White. Like he kind of let it rip. So I think he would bring it out in Woodley. I, you know, I think it would be it would be real fireworks. I think there'd be real personal animus which would be felt. And I think you're right. It would be an amazing, uh, amazing buildup for sure. And for those of you watching, for the first time ever on the show, we have somebody work in the chat. Uh, Colby, uh, Mike Pendleton, not Colby Covington. That would be something. <laughs> Colby Covington's yeah. in the studio Mike, with Mike. Pendleton's uh, around the corner monitoring the chat. But, Mike, up, Mike, what were your thoughts on uh, what Colby had to say? I think that's classic Colby Covington. I think that's everything we see on social media, every interview we ever listen to. That That's him. But now I really want him to beat Damian Maya because I want that fight. <laughs> see, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, Colby Covington. Uh, should be the person that everybody's rooting for in this upcoming matchup. Um, it, and, you know, for him to go down to Sao Paulo, like think about like the images that we've seen of fighters going down there and upsetting Brazilian legends. Yeah. Like Holloway right. with Aldo, UFC uh, 213, 12? Yeah, I 12? forget. 212. Recently. <laughs> in June. Um, you know, it's incredibly fascinating. Colby Covington's an interesting guy, and I think mm. he's he's got a really bright future. Uh, and people should stop sleeping on him because mm. he's about he's about to break out. But um, joining us in a few minutes is uh, Jimmy Rivera, another bantamweight contender, um, fighting Dominic Cruz at UFC 219. That one's booked way far out of advance. Think about it this yeah. way: Colby Covington, if he beats Damian Maya, he very well could be fighting Tyron Woodley at UFC 219 in Las Vegas, um, and that you know, which yeah. months away. But that fight between him and Dominic Cruz is already booked, and this is an incredible thing. Uh, Covington or not Covington Rivera's only lost once um Cruz has only lost twice Mm -hmm. you know they both have 20 plus wins it's been incredibly uh you know interesting to see Rivera's rive he came up he knocked off Uriah Faber at UFC 203 in Cleveland Mm -hmm. and uh Thomas Almeida after that and now he's gonna fight Cruz who's gonna be arguably be the biggest Mm -hmm. test of his career yeah I think did he not come out did he knock Faber out but he beat I him. know. I think it went to decision. Yeah, he. No, I mean it's it's very similar, right? Like these these should both be number one contender fights. Um, and and Jimmy Rivera has largely, unfortunately, like kind of flown under the radar. This is his shot. If he beats Dominic Cruz, everyone will realize, even if they didn't prior, uh, you know, just how good he is. Um, he's you know he beat beaten Uriah Faber, a legend, a former champion, um, of a different division, but still. Uh, then beating Thomas Almeida, long time, one of the top contenders. Uh, a lot of times, for a lot of uh, a lot of years, I'd say for a couple of years, I think a lot of folks thought Almeida was kind of the heir apparent in that division. Certainly, super dangerous. And Rivera's handled a lot of handled a lot of different types of challenges. I think he gets a new one, uh, and maybe uh, the next level one against Dominic Cruz. But it's just. It's just a huge, huge fight for him. And you're right. They actually booked it far in advance. Both men have a, a long time to be thinking about each other, training for each other. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's exciting. It's, it's exciting for, for both guys. Dominic Cruz gets to take on uh, or has accepted a challenge of, of, of a young uh, rising contender instead of just sticking around to fight for the title next. Or, you know, he, he could. It's he, kind of, you know, he could do that. But he doesn't have to take on Jimmy Rivera conceivably. He could wait. For long and fight the uh, title fight next. I think he get the shot against Garbrandt. Yeah, if he yeah I mean, if he waited along he long enough, he, he would get a, a title fight next. So you know, good on both guys. This is a really tough fight. Yeah, the uh, it's kind of like that old school meritocracy yeah. that we've seen at the UFC. The best fighting, the best, the thing Absolutely. that they've always built on. Like, and, and you know, we're talking about Covington in the welterweight division, where um, not with Thompson and Woodley out of the way, and people like uh, Cerrone and Lawler kind mm-hmm. of losing. It's kind of 
there what was a division with a lot of contenders and you know it's kind of cleared out and nobody maybe other than Covington is standing out as the mm-hmm. the next guy up. You know, right. Bantamweight division has that. They mm-hmm. have a TJ Dillashaw, Cruz, even though he lost, he you know, he's Dominic Cruz and he's never lost at Bantamweight before that right. fight. Um so he you know, he didn't have to fight Jimmy Rivera and Jimmy Rivera is a guy who hasn't lost in how many years? Yeah. You know, so he doesn't need to fight Dominic Cruz either to stake so, his claim for the shot. That's but, very true. Um, so it's definitely interesting, you know, both fighters um, kind of taking this challenge on just, you know, there's a lot to risk. Yeah, there is. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought about it in that way that, yeah, R- Rivera, of course, this is a good way to cement his position. But with his record, he, he certainly could make the argument that he deserves the next shot anyway. Um, yeah, no, I think it, I think it'll be interesting. And it's hard for me to pick, too. It's hard. I have no real sense of... Of, of which way to lean in this fight. I think Rivera keeps on getting better and better. And he's just, more than anything, he's just really hard to beat. I know that's like a vague and tangible thing. Uh, he's good in a lot of things. But he's just also hard to look good against, right? Like, he's just he's tough to, to really put away. He's tough to put in a bad, keep in a bad spot. Uh, he's tough to really shine on in any way. And at the end of the day, that's always a tough person to beat. Um, you know, Dominic Cruz has excelled when he, he really gives people problems or he really makes them look bad. It'll be interesting to see if uh, at this stage of his career, if he's capable of doing that against a, a, a younger top guy coming up. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a tricky fight. Fortunately, it's so far away. <laughs> right. That's, that's the one downside. We could keep talking about it. We could have him on uh, frequently. You know, UFC 217 is around the corner while we wait for uh, to get Jimmy Rivera mm-hmm. on the line. Um, do you think that you know talk about stacked cards? Is that card as stacked as you think uh, two of five was? There's three title fights again. Oh Iwana, yeah, right. Bisping St. Pierre, uh, yeah, Garbrandt, Dillashaw, the bantamweight title fight, and then of course you have Joanna. But uh, there's no Conor McGregor, right? But you have St. Pierre. Yeah, do you think it's a wash? I think so. I mean, I think it's a great fight. I don't want to see St. Pierre fight anymore, but he's certainly um, as big a star as we've ever seen, and. And MMA, so no, I think I think that's a great card, and there's the history element too of him trying to win at welterweight, win in the second division. So yeah, I think that's a phenomenal card. Let's see if uh, Jimmy is available. Cool. I know these guys are uh, training for fights, though. Jimmy's is a little bit further out. Hello. Hey, Jimmy, how are you? Hey, man, I thought you were calling me at three twenty. It's three forty-five. Oh, my apologies. I thought. Sorry about that. This is this is his co-host Elias. Sorry, Jimmy. You still got a moment to talk now? Yeah, I only got like 10 minutes. That's it because I got to run, run my school. I got classes and stuff to teach and all that. Let's so get sorry, it done. Man. Yeah, no, that's fine. Okay. Thanks for making that's time. my fault. No problem. So, Jimmy, I was, were, were you pleasantly surprised to get this, this matchup? Did you, did you doubt that they would give you uh, another big name and some, an opportunity to really cement yourself as, as a number one contender? Um, I, I wasn't surprised that they would um, – I mean, UFC always – pushes for fights and tells people but you can't you know you can't make anybody say yes to fight you and i was surprised that cruz took the fight but then after hearing him on the mma hour was ariel Hawani, and i understand why he took the fight it was kind of either you know he fights or he's going to be kind of waiting maybe even longer for a title shot so um now i understand why he took the fight and i i'm you know I'm happy about it. It's it's great. He's the number one ranked guy. He's, he's the ex champ, and going in there and getting a win over him definitely, you know, gives me first dibs on the title. You know, Cruz is an all time great and an MMA legend in his own right. You know, you you fought Uriah Faber at UFC 203 and beat him rather convincingly. Um, did that kind of fight against Faber prepare you to fight a dominant Cruz? Uh, no, they're two different fighters, completely different. 
um, different styles and stuff like that. So I'm preparing right now for cruise and um, it's a unique style, but I think a lot of people, I think the best person that fought him was Cody, but I even, I think Cody could have done better with it. And I've watched him fight with Johnson and TJ and, and uh, Jorgensen and uh, Faber a few times they fought like three or four times. So learning and watching him fight and all that, you know, it's all the same movements, all the same stuff. So I'm trying to study it and get a good grasp of it. And, now I'm just, you know, training my game plan and working it, working his moves as well. And so this way I'm prepared for everything. Jimmy, I'm kind of curious. I mean, fighting a guy that does such funky, unconventional and, you know, textbook wise, like wrong things like Dominic Cruz that he's, that he's still made work for him. I know this is a broad question, um, but I'd love your, your take on it if it makes any sense. Do you, when you look at a guy like that, do you, is a large part of what your strategy Basically, hey, I'm going to cut through this feint. I'm not going to bite on every single jerky movement. I'm just going to be me and go try to, you know, cut off the ring and go straight, uh, straight through this guy. That the reason so many people get get stifled is because they're paying attention to everything he does and maybe getting a little frozen. They could be, or they, I think really a lot of people don't have, you know, listen to some of the corners and what they're telling them. I mean, some coaches, you know, were right on the money, listening to them while I was watching the fights. But the fighter didn't do it, and some mm-hmm. coaches were way off. And uh, I think it comes down to your coaching, to the game plan, and to you know your experience level in there and fighting. And it's really important. I mean, I've got 20, 22 fights just professional alone, not counting you know boxing and kickboxing as an amateur and um, amateur MMA. So, I mean, I have very good experience and looking at it and, and really dissecting his fight style. Um, I can't give away, obviously, anything I'm going to do until after the fight. But uh, I feel ready and prepared for it. You know what I mean? I got plenty of time, too. So training camp started last Friday, and I got a whole three months to train for it. So I'm looking forward to it. What quality, and again, not don't give away your strategy, obviously, but what, what quality do you think, we talked about what makes Dominic Cruz tricky. What, what makes you a, a quality in yourself that makes you a hard, hard, hard-ass fight for this former champion? Well, I could always change my style up. I don't have to do a set thing. I'm not looking to always do a set thing. You know, every time I fight, it's a little bit different of a fight. I have my own attributes that I use, but I don't. It's not always the same game plan for every, you know, every fight. I fought Almeida, and Almeida's game plan, you know, in the beginning was actually to kind of grind it out, take him down, and we decided halfway through the camp we're going to stand up with him and, and kickbox him, and did really well doing that, and. All of a sudden, you know, third round, it's like, you know, let's secure the win. And I got the takedown, but then I let him back up because I really wanted to knock him out. I was really hoping, you know, to really push and get that title shot and make even more of a name. But he was game, and he wasn't in there to lose at all. And he was, wasn't accepting that loss, that that uh, that L. So it was a tough fight, but it was a good fight. And I was able to beat one of the best kickboxers in the division with kickboxing. Nick, you mentioned that you you started camp already. That's a, that's a three-month camp. That seems kind of longer than usual. Do you like to usually have these kind of longer camps, or are you just taking advantage of all this advanced notice you've been given? I mean, I love a long camp. The longer I get, the even better. You know what I mean? The more I can practice, I like it. You know what I mean? If I could get three months all the time, I would love to do that. Unfortunately, you know, you usually get eight weeks, and that's fine with me. You know what I mean? Eight weeks is, is, is you know – you're used to that. That's the majority of what you get. But having an extra four weeks on top of that, it's, it's even better. You know what I mean? It's like a it's like a present. So I'm looking forward to having that extra time to really prepare for him too as well. 
You know, there's this triangle kind of atop the division with Garbrandt, Dillashaw, and Cruz, uh, and you're kind of this guy on the outside trying to crack your way in. Um, even you know you have you haven't lost in how many years? How excited are you to kind of be the guy that kind of come in and disrupt this storyline triangle and force your way into this mix? I'm uh, super excited. I mean, this is an opportunity of a lifetime, and this is the next step to get closer to the belt. And I think this is the most important step, and that's why you know I'm taking every advantage of that extra time of training. I was supposed to be on a honeymoon in November, and in November we just moved our honeymoon to next year, so this way I could train and be ready for the fight. You have a very understanding wife. <laughs> yes, she very she understands really well. Did you have to make any concessions, book like a suite instead of a normal hotel room for the honeymoon to get her to switch? Nah, nah, nothing at all. She, uh, she's she been training since she was four years old in Tiger Showman's, and I've known her for my whole life. And since we were kids, like 11 and 12, I know her father for a long time. He's actually coached me a couple fights. She understands the sport. So we have someone that understands the sport, understands meal prepping and all that, and all the training and time you need and how you got to be selfish a little bit. Um, it's great. You know what I mean? It makes uh, life a lot easier. Forgive me for not knowing. Are you have you guys gotten married already, or is the wedding in November? We got married last November, and we didn't get to go on a honeymoon because I was supposed to fight Brian Caraway. Mm-hmm. So he pulled out of his fight, and I was fucking pissed. So there we set up another honeymoon. We set up our actual honeymoon for November, figuring maybe I'll get on the November fourth card. But Cruz said he still needed more time, which. Then all of a sudden he said that he did it and he could step in if TJ or Cody gets hurt. And then my manager, I go to my manager, like, what is this he saying? If he's ready, let's fight. So that came about. And now, you know what I mean? I was hoping to fight the 4th of November and this way you can enjoy the holidays. But it's not going to happen. I'm not going to be able to enjoy Thanksgiving or Christmas. I mean, New Year's, yeah, but uh, that's fine by me. I mean, that's the sacrifice you make being in this game and doing what you love to do. Where are you guys going to go for the honeymoon? Uh, Costa Rica. Oh, that's a nice warm place. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to enjoy watching you fight, man. We appreciate the sacrifices uh, you make, and we appreciate you being on the show. Since it, we got to definitely have you on again uh, beforehand, man. Thanks so much for making time. No, no problem at all. I'm sorry to cut it short, but like, I, like you know, most of these guys, you know, they did just fight. I have a school I run with 257 students, and it was kids and adults all in New York City on East 23rd Street. So life is busy. Even when I'm not fighting, <laughs> life is busy. And I got, you know, a new program, you know, three- and four-year-old program over next weekend for Tiger Cubs are called. Wow. I, I got my school to run. I, you know, I, you know, I got a, a wife at home, and I got, you know, my training. So it's always busy. That's why I tell people my time is very limited. Like, I only have a little bit of time before I have to go and do the next thing. So it's nice having, like, a Sunday and kind of relax a little bit, but that doesn't even happen when you have a house <laughs> and you're, you know, doing new things to it for your wife or you have something out. There's always something to be done. So relaxing doesn't really, you know, I always tell people always ask, when are you going to relax? I'm like, yeah, when I die, I can rest as much as I want. <laughs> I need to go to the Jimmy so, Rivera a time management workshop i know for real for real and and if you're on the east coast you got to check out jimmy's school and you guys got to get if you're not already training martial arts you should and you should check it out with him wonderful programs out there thanks jimmy thanks again, a lot man. guys appreciate it have a good one you too jimmy's such a great guy yeah it's always fun talking to him man. he he you know he, he seems real humble and easy going but when he when there's something that upsets him like brian caraway or her scheduling or dominic cruz he'll he'll, t- he'll talk about it he's done it before with this he'll do it again seems like an earnest dude yeah and uh you know another guy who's you know like covington finally getting a shot he's uh 
um, you know, been in the UFC for a while now. He had that big come out against UFC uh, against Faber, UFC 203, and he's finally kind of worked his way yeah. in there. Um, and, and, you know, he's been given a hard road and he's not a guy who backs down to challenges. He, he kind oh. of welcomes whatever gets put in front of him. That's true. Um, and if I'm remembering correctly, I think that that caraway fight was supposed to happen that he was talking about was supposed to happen in January. Mm. Uh, so he was going to miss the holidays times. that time. Yep. Yep. You know, so he's had a little bit of bad luck with uh, with holidays and the Almeida fight came in July. Uh, so, right. you know, Fourth of July holidays <laughs> and um, Jimmy Rivera haven't worked out too well. But no, no but um, his career is working out pretty well for him. So I know he's, he probably always wants to make his opponents pay for all that. So. We got it. Yeah, it's cool talking. I we guess got to that's have uh, again. one way to take out your frustrations. You got to, to uh, man. You you make every every single fighter uh, that's cutting weight, for example, uh, they're they're thinking about about making their opponent pay for that, even though they all do it. They all they all to to make them pay. They're they're the reason why you haven't slept well in in three months. You're the reason why they're hungry. This and that. So um, it's it's a little in a sport where most people respect each other and they're not they don't have any real personal things against each other. Uh, but that's that's I think where a lot of them draw that motivation, and that's why you see them get so pissed when someone misses weight. It's not that they don't empathize; it's that like, geez, I did it, I went through this hell, and and I was able to make it happen. Mike, what did you think of the the interview? Uh, besides the fact that Jimmy Rivera is ridiculously busy, I think it's <laughs> great. Um, I'm interested in this fight. You know, I think uh, him and uh, he's that guy that, like you said, Mike, he takes away that triangle of Cody, TJ, Dominic, and I'd like to see it's. Listening to him talk, I'm more interested to see how he can break through and be the next title contender. He makes things interesting. You know, if yeah. he comes in and disrupts everything, Absolutely. it makes it interesting. You know, as interesting as three guys being at top of the division, you know, if Garbrandt beats Dillashaw, um, you know, then the UFC could have just put Cruz back up there. And, you know, if that if he beat Garbrandt, then you have the Dillashaw rematch or if. Uh, Garbrandt beat Cruz in that match, and you have his Dillashaw rematch. So, you know, there were so many things right there, but then Jimmy Rivera coming in doesn't necessarily kill all that. It just adds another yeah. wrinkle of intrigue. Like, you still That's have right. the – he beats uh, – you know, if he wins the title, then there's these four guys kind of on this rotation, and that division's kind of set for a while. Yeah. And this is a, an entertaining division. I, I was listening to a discussion. I want to say it was on the Luke Thomas show, mm-hmm. but it was R.J. Uh, Clifford, I think, mm-hmm. filling in for him. Yeah. They were talking about the titles – and the interim titles and the legitimacy in the division. They were talking about the Bantamweight division as being the legitimate division in the UFC. And, you know, like we were talking about the meritocracy meritocracy uh, of this fight with Jimmy Rivera and Dominic Cruz. That's, you know, hard to dispute. Yeah, no, it's a, I mean, it's a great division. It's, it's, it's as good as it gets at the top. And uh, the matchups that they're making are pretty good so far. <laughs> they're the right ones it makes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's going to be a super entertaining fight. Um, thank you for everybody who tuned in to watch. Um, make sure to always tune in Wednesdays, 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central. We got Mike P. working the uh, the Facebook chat. So um, next time when we have maybe less guests and more time to just kind of talk MMA, you guys can chime in with some questions and we'll answer your questions on the show and kind of make you a part of it. Um, but don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, YouTube, wherever you uh, prefer to um consume podcasts we're there uh but thank you guys for tuning in we'll see you next week